You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am Tom Knezic. And welcome to episode 62. Two. Two. Episode 62. Did I, oh, I didn't put that in the show notes for you. I'll just trying to okay. throw you a curveball. It's, okay. it's okay. I just came back from vacation. So I, I almost would have let it slip, but I'm like, I think we did that one no, already. We're, we're, we're 62. We're at 62. So, uh, so what's going on? How was vacation? It was cool. Awesome. Um, just got it was nice to get away for a little bit as you guys know from uh however many episodes ago when we were real cranky that one time um (laughs) the the spring can really beat you down but uh and there's no vacations that you can take then but then you come back and like over the summer you kind of recharge and refresh and get ready for a a smooth fall and Mm -hmm. Then you do it all over again the next year. You work hard. You got to play yeah. hard. I'm yeah. just trying to get through the selling of the house. I got three more weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. And once once I sign that paper, I'll I'll breathe. Yeah, but know, it, it right was a now. cool trip, and um, and we got outside a fair amount. We actually took a big hike up. Uh, up it was Panther Mountain. You were um, in the Adirondacks. Is, it, yeah, we're up in yeah. the Adirondacks, and it was Panther Mountain, just outside of Piseco Lake, and uh, it's only like it's a smaller trail. It's not like one of the high peaks, yeah. but. Uh, we climbed like 700 feet and uh, with a one in or 13 month old, just <laughs> yeah. year old. And we realized we forgot the the backpack thing. <sighs> He's supposed to go inside, so basically threw him over my shoulder the whole way up and uh, and down. And uh, yeah, we didn't leave him up there. So that was fun. That was an interesting, awesome. interesting way when it was referred to me by a friend who mm-hmm. he does a lot of, uh, or actually his girlfriend, or excuse me, wife does a lot of climbing. And um and he's like, oh, yeah, it's a really nice, like, easy trail. You're going to have no problems with it. You can take a collar, and we got there, and there's water rushing down and because uh, it rained two inches the night before. I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't the right place. <laughs> we should try and find someplace else. I'm like, it's got to be. It's got to be the right place. So when we did it, and there was a couple of times we're like, oh, this is getting a little steep. Maybe we should turn around. But we we did it. We did some scrambling handoffs with the baby so we could get up yeah. different boulders and stuff it was actually a lot of fun them once like we a got there sack of potatoes but, over your shoulder oh yeah that yeah. was like if if we had the backpack it probably wouldn't have been that bad <laughs> uh, uh, well that's but, awesome yeah, i'm glad you got cool. away i'm glad you had a great time that yeah. that part of the adirondacks is absolutely beautiful oh yeah so yep. good place for for native plant spots. definitely and that was one of the things because talking about invasive plants like we did last week um one of the things that we didn't bring up that we we were seeing a lot of in the ditches was purple loose strife yeah and then we get to the the top of this mountain and there's a plant that looks just like purple loose strife and that's what my voice like yeah. there's purple loose strife i'm like not up here we're on top of a mountain yeah. and uh, i can't remember what it was called i'll have to put that in the group but it was very similar but it, was, it looked similar from a from a glance it was a yeah. more pinkish color um you know that's one plant i will say when that when it started to come out that that plant was had invasive tendencies, it was probably the mid nineties and the industry actually did a really good job of stopping to sell that one. So I've Mm -hmm. actually see in our area, that problem get better than worse, which is nice to see. I know that's not always the case, but it's taken 25 years for, for that to happen. So anyway, 
like we said, we never get off topic. There you are. We're getting <laughs> off topic. Uh, I'll let you you kick in with the introducing. The guests. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So today's guests, uh, as I mentioned at the end of our last episode, were when we made our short list, they were on the short list. And I'm like embarrassed. It took us a year and a half to, to get to them. Um, we're and, here today. We did it. <laughs> and I don't think we told them that, but we're telling you now. Yeah. It took us, it yeah. took us, you were like the, the initial 10 ideas we had mm-hmm. for guests. You were one of the 10 and it, here it's taken a year and a half. Yeah. So. so we have two folks from Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve, which is an awesome place just out, out of, outside of New Hope, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm sure if you're in from the area, you've probably been there. And if you aren't from the area, it's worth the trip to go there um, for the Wildflower Preserve. And then you just go down to to New Hope because that's a cool town too. Yeah. But um, but today we have uh, Santino Loricella and Gene Barrel, both from Bowman's Hill. So guys, why don't you uh, take a second to kind of introduce yourselves a little bit better than I just did, and uh, and a little bit about Bowman's Hill as well. All right, sounds fantastic, and thanks, Tom. Uh, so my name is Santino. I'm the education coordinator for the preserve, um, officially the adult and professional program coordinator. But there's only one of me in the department. So I thought you were going to say you were the adult there. Like, I was like, oh, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, no. Gene's more adult than I am. (laughs) That's that's saying a lot. (laughs) Pretty bad. And uh, so I've been with the preserve about a year and a half now. Um, I joined in October of 2019, right before we hit lockdown. So it's been quite an interesting uh, experience with a new new place. Awesome. Awesome. And Jean, how about you? I'm actually a volunteer that's been volunteering since about 2000. I started coming to the preserve in the late nineties because I wanted to get birds on my property and you know how that goes. So (laughs) at, at this point, when I retired, I took the naturalist course and I led walks for quite a while and now I'm really focused on the nursery I got tired of my stories from walks all the time (laughs) so now I tell them on the sales floor and um, when the pandemic happened we had a brand new nursery manager and no staff to back her up so I was the institutional knowledge person and so I've spent lots of time there and it's been really great so. Tom, do you think with all my stories, I'm I'm the person of institutional knowledge here? <laughs> I don't know if it's the right kind of knowledge, but there is some knowledge. <laughs> yeah, actually, probably none of it has anything to do with work, so it's useless. But um, for our guests that have never been to Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve or or don't know about it, would could you tell us a little bit about what the preserve is and a little bit of the history of it? Absolutely. Um, so for those that don't know, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve is the only nationally accredited museum. So we're accredited through the American Association of Museums, AAM. Um, and we're the only one dedicated to native plants uh, in the country. So I want it's, you know, folks think about like the uh, Natural History Museum, right, in New York, we have the same accreditation, but our collection is not artifacts or paintings. It's this living, respiring collection of nearly 700 different species of native plant that we have on site. Um, and those are, of course, native to Pennsylvania. That's where the preserve is located. Um, Pennsylvania itself, I'm sure many of your listeners know, is home to 2,100 different species of native plant or really close to that. Um, so to have a third of them on our property that you can visit year round is, is pretty phenomenal. 
That's all. And and what year did the preserve start? I'll take that one. Okay. Um, and, Go ahead. Uh, the property was owned by the Washington's Cross. Well, it is stone, owned by the Washington Crossing State Park. And um, the upper part of the park, there was a lot of camping going on and they were expanding into this old farm they had bought. And one day, it was in 1933, one of the WPA supervisors and a woman from the Confederation of Garden Clubs were standing there looking at the camping that was kind of destroying the area around the creek and they said there's a lot of things we should preserve here and the world being what it was by 1934 it became the Bowmanville wildflower preserve and it was separated off and to an extent from the rest of the park so the idea was to get all the plants in Pennsylvania which they learned wouldn't happen but a lot of the park was built by the WPA. It was fortunate that way. And over the years, it's just changed in many different ways. But um, we are now called a placed property, which is means that the state owns the land, but the nonprofit association runs the property. Wow. Wow. That's phenomenal. It's, are there benefits that the museum accreditation give you over other preserves? Is, is there a, a, a benefit for for to help you do what you do? That's a fantastic question and not one that I'm aware of. So Gina, if you, you know more than I do, you know, chime in, but um, outside of, you know, being on this fully accredited list um, of a variety of organizations, just as a way to get our name out and share the message. Um, those are the biggest ones that I know of. Which is fantastic. And I'm sure knowing that you're the only one, it's not an easy accomplishment. I'm sure it's very hard to, to do that, otherwise you would see it more often. So I just didn't know if it allowed you. Um, it, it probably more. I would be. I would imagine more exposure than most to right. get your name out there. Which the more people that visit, the more help it, it does for the preserve. Mm -hmm. I believe exactly. it started. Um, the preserve was run by the division of the state. It was the Historical Museum Commission. We were under that purview for quite a long time, and I think the whole idea of being a museum was pushed more than I think the first accreditation came in the 1980s, but it's the reaccreditation yeah. process is really strict. I think I, it keeps our plant collection pure. I, I love the thought of it being like a museum collection because it's, you know, you have a natural area that's been preserved for so long that you can't just see anywhere, uh, especially in today's day. It's probably becomes more rare every day um, as as we lose land to development. So to have something like that preserved, it really is a collection because just looking at your social media uh, sites and what you show, there's things that I don't know that I've ever seen naturally occurring in the wild. And I don't know other than there if, if I would have the opportunity to see these things. Right. And that is in a huge part. And that's underlined three times huge, all caps, right? um to the deer exclusion fence that we have running around the preserve um you know as i'm sure everyone around this area is aware you know the deer pressure that we face and you know you guys have talked about this on the podcast too right um is immense in this area of the country and they're eating everything <laughs> so you know having this exclusion fence really does help keep you know like gene said that our collection pure and available to be seen year-round now, I know you have, there's other open land near you. There's Washington's Crossing State Park, the Delaware River, you have Bowman's uh, uh, Tower. 
but beyond that, like I've watched it, you know, growing up in Bucks County myself, I've watched how that has changed over the last 50 years uh, as far as density goes. So I can imagine that the deer density is a lot worse than it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago. I would imagine it's, it's getting worse and not better. A few years ago, it, it was estimated that the deer, there were 147 deer per square mile in the township that we're in and carrying capacity is 10 to 20. So with the deer fence, what we're able to show people is what the woods would be looking like if the deer weren't eating everything. And it's just the line between the fence and you know, on either side of the fence, it's just impressive. And how, how long ago did the fencing go up? 1992. Wow. wow. So I, I was going to say, have there been many or any deer that have made it to the other side of the fence? Or are they getting in a little bit or? Oh, yeah. They, we, we now have fence walkers that walk along the edge of the fence to look for breaks. But a lot of things have happened in the last year where they're really excluded now. And the, the difference is that things like Camasia, the wild hyacinth, that were there all the time, they weren't planted. They're coming up now because there are no deer. But there were always a few deer. One year, they, there were so many in that they went to the sales floor and just ate everything off the tables. They didn't even have to bend over. Wow. So, wow. Well, this, that was the, the question I was going to ask. Once the deer fencing went up, how long did it take before you started seeing things show up from the seed bank that you weren't aware were there like the hyacinth that was before my time okay all right i would imagine it it probably there were some things immediately but i'm sure it probably took some time mm -hmm. for that to regenerate just I, I would imagine that there's a huge difference between the preserve today than the preserve in say the late 80s i know that they used to uh, mow uh, through, there's a um, reforestation area and they used, with memorial trees and they used to mow that. And at 2000, they decided that the, it was mature enough, they stopped mowing. So what we have there is 20 years worth of, of growth and you can see what the wow. difference would be. Wow, that's amazing. Santino, did you want to say something? Oh, well, no, I was... I'm just following up with Jean. You know, she's talking about the area known as Penn's Woods, which is right outside the visitor center. And it's amazing. You can just see that that break from the canopy cover to the shrubby underlayer and all that growth um, that's happened in the last 20 some odd years. But, you know, that's, folks, that's when they pull up and see a deer fence, it's a little it might be a little off putting, but there's an important reason for that. And that's otherwise we wouldn't have this collection. I, um, I agree. I agree. Is is, do you have a, an overall goal for the amount of species you would like to have on the preserve? Like, are you continually adding to it based on history, what would be there? Or are you just kind of letting it be what it is right now? Wait, so, yeah. go ahead. Oh, go ahead. G. I was going to say, I don't think that there's an actual number that I'm aware of. Um, obviously, there are certain species that aren't going to fit based off of our geographic region. Um, and so, but we are continually adding, you know, we've got a curator, part of that, having that museum accreditation is having an active curator on site who's managing the collections. Um, and Jason does a just truly fantastic job and he is, you know, actively looking and trying to get more species in the preserve. Um, I don't know if there's a, an official, you know, reach number goal, but. Gene. But if you keep, keep. Can we gain some and lose a few sometimes too. Okay. There used to be 
close to a thousand, but uh, things were planted that just don't grow in our area. Mm -hmm. They brought plants from all over the state in, and what we have now is able to grow here. And Jason, they keep getting new ones in. He's looking for new plants and hopefully they all make it. And, and when you're getting, you're saying he's getting new plants, where are you guys getting new plants? Is it locally collected seeds that just didn't happen to be in the preserve? Or are you bringing stuff in from, from nurseries? He, no, he, he goes out and collects locally. Very, oh, cool. very nice. And we have an area in the nursery that's the curator area and he's mm -hmm. always growing, the, he collects seed and it's, you know, watch, seeing what he can grow. Do you have uh, species in the preserve that are rare or even like endangered on the preserve because it's like, oh, we had, you know, 10 of these and we're down to like two and this isn't something you see very often. Like, are, are, do you have, are there a few prized possessions that you're, you're excited about that you have on the preserve? That's what the collection is. They're all rare, threatened, endangered species. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So I don't know that we touched. I, well, this is, I, I don't want to get no, too sidetracked, no. but one of the things I was thinking of is when you talk about rare or endangered species is you have people who want those species for themselves too. Do you have any issues with, with theft? <laughs> people coming in and saying, you know, I wanted one of those and either taking cuttings or taking seeds or, or, or doing those kind of things. I would say not that I'm personally aware of, um, you know, usually the general public has been, has been amazingly respectful of the plants and the property. Um, so I mean, Gene might have historic stories I don't know about, but. No, I really, I think it's been really good. People, That's kind good of people and, come have been really good. Yeah, and I guess the, the side um, question of that would be, since a lot of those things are rare, how do you keep them uh, protected, so to speak? Because you do allow the public in. Um, so there's people who can walk around. There's different trails they can they can take. And how do you stop someone from stepping on or, or sitting on something that may be rare and endangered that they just didn't even know was there? Some of them are not quite at the edge of the trail. Some of them are marked and you can see that they are, but we encourage people to stay on the trails we really don't have too much trouble with it during when the first pandemic first started and the public was allowed in the gates weren't locked we had problems mm -hmm. and then it, but now people pay admission to come in and we talk about the collection and we don't have too many problems every now and then there's a kid that'll pick a flower that's um they should yeah. <laughs> and then you yeah. give them a slap on the wrist send them the <laughs> at least straight to jail. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but no that was it was something i've seen in discussed in other places where um a lot of people don't necessarily understand that taking plants or, or taking seeds even uh that some people might have a use for those or if they, they belong to um the property or belong to uh, a, a person um some people think they're just kind of free range. So I just wasn't sure if you had if, like issues with that, with people taking stuff. Not a major issue, let's put it that way. They did in the beginning yeah. of the preserve. They actually hired guards and put mm -hmm. a ranger cabin up and all. It was a big thing in the 30s, but not so much now. Interesting. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. So I kind of wanted to roll it back just, just a, a little bit because I don't know that we mentioned it. What is the actual mission, uh, the mission statement of Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve? So the mission of the preserve is to inspire the appreciation and use of native plants 
by serving as a sanctuary and an educational resource for conservation and stewardship. Um, is the official tagline. So to get more native plants out in the landscape, to educate people about their importance and be that resource that folks come to when they're looking for more information about native plants. That's awesome. So, and you touched on a few things that I know we want to mm -hmm. talk about as we go further too, but before we do, we did talk about deer pressure on the, uh, the property. Um, and before, you know, and I know that that's an issue. And before we, we move away from that, I wanted to talk about other issues that may be, um, impending for the, the preserve, um, things like invasives. Do you like, a deer fence isn't necessarily going to keep invasives out. It may keep the deer out, but not invasives. Do you find that that pressure, invasive plant pressure, becoming more and more as time goes on? I guess okay. I'll... the short answer is yes. <laughs> Go ahead, Gene. Yes, that's what I was going to say. We have um, a lot. We have lots of volunteers that go out and work on invasives, and our property manager works on that. But it's it's a never ending battle. Um, we just put in a new meadow and um, one side of our meadow and you can just see as you go down what has been weeded and what hasn't because just like anywhere else, you know, you name it, it's going to pop up in there. So we have a really dedicated group of volunteers that will go out and weed and um, most of us walk past some garlic mustard and it kind of comes back up with, you know, we take it back to the nursery or whatever, but there's just, you know, like anywhere else. Yes, it's a big problem. I, I don't know if, if, if you mentioned it, if, if you did, and I didn't hear it, I apologize. Did we say how big the preserve is? Like how many acres the preserve is? I'm not sure that we did say, um, but it is 134 acres and 100 of those acres are, is what is encapsulated by the exclusion fence. So Gene referred to the meadow of the, pro, of the preserve and there are, there are two meadows. There's a South Meadow and the new Aquatong Meadow. And those consist of about the other 34 acres. Um, awesome. And how many volunteers do you have normally uh, helping on the preserve? I was going to say hundreds. I mean, we've got a whole host of, of dedicated folks like, like Gene. Um, I, I've always said, you know, we, we wouldn't exist without our, our volunteers. They are truly the shining gems. And that ranges from, you know, invasives. And we've got our invasive species strike force. Um, we've got deer fence patrol. And those are volunteers who just go out and walk all two-ish miles of the deer fence to make sure that there's no breaks or gaps. Um, we've got naturalists who go out and lead public tours, um, which is a tradition that's been started back in the 1950s and still continues. You can get a uh, tour of the preserve, guided wildflower walks. We have folks um, who help uh, our gift shop and their sales floor. Um, and these folks, you know, are some of the first folks that people see and encounter on their trip to the preserve. Um, so, you know, they're they are truly our shining gems. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I may have to volunteer. Yeah. So, so if, if our listeners are interested in volunteering at the end, there's still opportunities for more people to volunteer. Do you ever have to cap it because you have so many or is there no. a way that no? Okay. All right. So at the end, we'll make sure that we'll, we'll say how people can get in touch if, if they're interested in volunteering. So um, you didn't, I'm sorry. Tom, I was going to say like, so we talked about uh, deer pressure and basic plants. What are some other challenges you guys have with, with keeping um, the wildflower preserve natural as? 
I'll say so deer and uh, invasive plants are really our two biggest challenges. Um, the other big challenge is, is going to be insects, um, you know, things like ash borer, spied lanternfly. And those are things that are, are harder to, I'll say, control and manage, right? Um, you know, the fence obviously helps with the deer, you know, our volunteers can help with these invasive plants, but the insects are really the harder ones. Um, you know, it's funny, last summer, uh, my fiance and I and, and our kids were at Bowman's Tower, and we we're at the top of the tower, and it was covered with spotted lantern flies. <laughs> like, and it was above the canopies, like way above the canopies, and it was just, uh, we, we probably killed like 30 to 40 spotted lantern flies just at the top of the tower. So I can imagine what kind of pressure you're seeing from that, um, especially because there's open land around you that may not be managed for that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we see spotted lanternflies on the preserve, um, all across the preserve. And that's just, it's kind of what it is at this point, you know, as the species continues to spread and, and does its thing. Um, so the flip side of that is, you know, more and more of our native species are starting to recognize it as a food source and they can catch it. You know, I got to see a, a spider holding a lanternfly nymph. So that's I was awful. like, all right, sweet. Chow down, my friend. <laughs> there are more where that came from. Do you see the the spotted lanternflies even like an infestation level where it's um, a detriment to guests? Where uh, I know in other places in Pennsylvania, even southern New Jersey, where they're so thick that you can't stand under a tree because it's almost like it's raining the the honeydew that they emit, um, or things like that. Do you have guests that are complaining that that the lanternflies are really affecting their visit really have them not, at that level oh and, that's good yeah and so like the, i say i'm not being on my cabinet as we yeah yeah oh we we are too here but i know just in new jersey and like the state legis legislator uh state legislature they were um talking about some invasive species bills and uh and setting aside dollars basically to combat spotted lanternfly because it becomes such a um I don't know, not a hazard, but uh, a detriment to uh, a way of life that is just like you, like I said, you can't sit under a tree and have a picnic because all the spotted lanternflies are there. Uh, there's all kinds of complaints with kids at soccer tournaments and, and well, the, the, the first, baseball tournaments, that kind of stuff. The first time I experienced it, I was at uh, my son's uh, college lacrosse game, and it was in in the fall in in Upper Bucks County. And the bleachers were covered with dead spotted lantern. Like wow. you, it was it was wow. kind of like gnats, but they were the size of quarters. And you could just you were just sitting there and just killing them left and right. The kids were killing them with their lacrosse sticks in the turf, <laughs> like. And there was it was all open. It was all grass. There were no trees. They were just crawling through the turf. The couple of trees that mm -hmm. were there, they were I, I'd never seen them before. And I went from not seeing them to seeing them at their worst. And that was yeah. three years ago. We're just starting to see that nymph. You know, you would see a couple mature ones last year, but this is the first year I'm really noticing them in the nymph stage mm. here. Yeah. Um, pretty readily, actually. Yeah. So that's good to hear that they aren't that that terrible there yet. And uh, <laughs> having some I problems. think it's in it's, pockets in Bucks County. Yeah. People, yeah. you know, right. have customers who will talk about having so many of them like that, but. We haven't experienced at the preserve. I haven't at my house either. Yes. Oh, that's, good. that's good. Yeah. That's good. Hopefully, again, we can... I'm knocking on the desk and cabinet here. And so you, we're talking about spotted lanternfly, but what is your strategy to 
compete with spotted lanternfly and and other insects. You said insects as a whole pose a threat to or a challenge of the preserve. I said that one. I'm not entirely sure of. Um, I would have to defer that to our you know our grounds manager unless Gene, you have no. some more insight. We're more education guys. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Um, so one of the things you mentioned uh, in your mission was um, getting native plants to people. Now you do have a nursery at the wildflower preserve. So I kind of wanted to talk about the nursery a little bit and just what the mission of the nursery was. Uh, are you growing plants for the preserve? Are you growing plants for sale to get them in people's hands so that they're aware of, of native plants that they can take home with them? We grow both okay. more more for the public i mean part of the education is to have people or part of our mission is to get plants out into the public homegrown national park this is where people come for plants and so we we grow a lot from seed we grow some from plugs as you know that sort of thing yeah. um and uh we're just having a banner year this year i guess as every other nursery is but yeah it's, um that's what, and I figure for, for me, the education is on the sales floor and there's so much of that going on now. The nursery is, it, it, there's so many new people coming that are learning about native plants in the last year or two. A lot of Doug Tallamy people who have read that book and others, just young families. It's really, the nursery is great. I mean, it, it's so many people we have now that they just come back and come back and you know, where can I put this in my yard? What can I put in? Let me tell you what I did. You know, you hear about, they come back and tell you about it. And it's, it's really pretty encouraging. So. Have you seen an increase not only with the nursery, but just in attendance at the preserve since COVID, um, since you were able to open back up uh, for people? Did, did you see a renewed energy towards natural areas and native plants in general? Absolutely. Um, every staff meeting, one of our, my coworkers does a fun with numbers, um, and tells us about like how many different visitors we've gotten. And so, and every week it seems like is a new record week of, for visitation. Um, you know, like Jean said, more young families, family, you know, people across all walks of life are coming to enjoy the areas of the preserve, which is, which is wonderful. Like how, like, I, I know locally, I'm sure you're getting plenty of people to uh to visit the preserve um do you have like a stats like how far your visitors are coming to to come spend time with you i say i've talked personally to folks who came from virginia um for our nursery sales opening day um i chatted with a couple who drove in from new york city to pick up plants. Wow. Um, so it's not just, yeah, I'll say not just local folks, which is really encouraging and, and just amazing. That is awesome. We have that regular awesome. customers from Brooklyn, quite a few. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's, that's fantastic. You know, and I'm sure coming out of the city, that's a, a beautiful part of the, the, the country to see there. There's, there's plenty, plenty in your area to visit and, and get a nice day away. So um, yeah. throughout the years of the preserve have you had any i i don't know you know because you you've had this this 
curated collection that has been preserved for so long. Has there been anything important or important findings that you've seen over the years? Like, oh, we've noticed this plant. We, we get to monitor it because you don't see it that often in the wild, and we've noticed this. Has there been anything significant that, that you can think of that maybe you've been able to learn since the preserve's been open? We don't, the preserve used to do a lot of university research and we have researchers coming in from time to time, but some of the more local things we've noticed, like we have a whole lot of um, wild senna and sleepy orange butterflies, which were never up this far, have come now and we believe they're reproducing on the property. And, you know, we see a lot of things like that. Just the amount of, I think, different insects and animals and what's there is pretty phenomenal because it's just, you know, you name it fox den or there are fox dens in there. Every, it's just such a nice place for all of them. Well, you know, that's one thing I hadn't even thought about because you have this incredible plant collection, which you should have an incredible insect collection yes. as well because you, you're seeing plants that you don't normally see so you may see insects you don't normally and, see and birds too i would imagine so oh birds we, we always do the christmas bird count and a breeding bird count there and um a lot of people come to the preserve especially in spring migration because it's on the flyway up the delaware river and they're looking for a wooded area that's contiguous and we're there so we do real well it's a really oh, nice time and they, you hear everything all the warblers you hear it all just working in the nursery it's pretty nice do you catalog insects and and birds on the property or do other organizations come in to monitor Birds go through eBird. I mean, a lot of okay. people do the eBird lists and insects. No, we don't really. A lot of people show us. We do. Uh, I would say we do an annual butterfly count as part of the North American Butterfly Association. Oh, awesome. um, that that program is led by one of another one of our amazing volunteers, uh, Marion Borge. And so that's coming up. Um, but other insects other than the butterflies, I don't think we have. Um, so that's definitely something to look at at maybe like a bio blitz or some kind of thing like that maybe um, we can get a cool. sam drogi up there to uh monitor he may appreciate that <laughs> with the uh b inventory lab that may be uh pretty awesome i would love to know the stats of that so we're big stats people we like <laughs> i like numbers <laughs> so um you know, and the other when we talked about your mission other than getting native plants in the hands of, of people we you mentioned education as well. So I wanted to, and I know you're huge on education. So I wanted to talk about some of the things that you do to educate people. I know you have talks uh, at the preserve, but you also go outside of the preserve as well. Can, can can we touch on some of those those things? Sure, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest education pieces, um, non-program specific, I'll say, would would be these guided wildflower walks. Currently those are being held on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Um, so just about every day the preserve is open and there's a, usually a morning walk and an afternoon walk. So depending on when folks wanna visit the preserve. Um, and these are a fantastic way to, you know, see the collection. Um, you know, you're led through it. Just think of it like a, you know, you have a docent tour through a museum, right? You have a naturalist who guides you and showcases uh, the different native plants in bloom and tells you about their stories and the history of these plants. Because um, a lot of these plants do have a magical stories that go along with them, right? Um, and so that's one of the great ways. And Jean talked about being on the sales floor. 
and showcasing these plants. And, you know, I've listened to Gene use a lot of that naturalist knowledge on the sales floor um, to, to inspire folks and get them to, you know, uh, consider different plants that they weren't there originally considering. And it's, it's just fantastic. And it's nice because you have a captive audience. They're there mm. for a reason. So it, it, I, I would probably be so OCD about it that I would have to make sure everyone left of the plant. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, no, well, can't leave. The sales floor. <laughs> but, so, so what are some of the other things that you may do outside of uh, the preserve for uh, education purposes? So we've got, you know, we have our several different lecture series. Um, the major one that folks might be familiar with is our winter lecture series. It's on Sunday afternoons. Um, and we bring in guest lectures from across the, I'll say across the country, um, not just locally. And, you know, it's an hour long lecture. Um, while the, while we were all trapped inside of the pandemic, we expanded that to include a Thursday night nature series. Um, so those are hour long virtual lectures. Um, those are continuing this summer. Um, our first one is slated for July 22nd at 7 p.m., um, which I'm pretty, I'm very excited for. It's going to be a good, a good slate, the summer series. Um, and then, you know, we also have our land ethics symposium. Uh, this year, it took place virtually for the first time for obviously pandemic reasons. Um, we doubly lucked out in that they just happened to fall on a day that the huge, there's one of our huge winter blizzards. So travel would have been uh, a bit tricky with an extra like three feet of snow, but it was all held virtually and, and it went off without a hitch. So that was, that was really, really great. Are there plans on that going back to in-person? Um, I don't know if you've been able to make that, that decision yet, but. Um... I would say we just started the planning stages of that, of next year's symposium. Okay. Um, and our, we'll be looking at, you know, kind of doing both. I think with all of our education programming, um, we're looking at some kind of hybrid model, um, which makes sense. I think, you know, for the folks that want to join locally and have that ability um, to be able to come to the preserve, because I mean, the best way to inspire that appreciation use is seeing the collection upfront in person. Um, it's hard. It's more difficult to do that over just a screen. Um, but that being said, I can't tell you the number of folks that have come to us since we moved, you know, since we moved our education programming online, that was one of the biggest changes I think that the preserve went through with the whole pandemic is being able to do that. So many folks have come to me and said, like, thank you so much for, for doing this. This is the first time I've been able to really participate in the preserve programming because it's, you know, two hours away, three hours away. Um, I think we had someone join one of our knowing native plant classes from France is the furthest away. I think someone's joined us. So, you know, yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I would so venture to guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can the, only have so many people in our auditorium, but I don't know yeah. what the attendance was through the winter lecture series, but it was certainly more than 80. We know, right. turned people away. I weren't, weren't enough seats for people. Yeah, I love the symposium and it's it's one of the things I look forward to that that we do every year and I know not last year but the year before it happened right before lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> it, um, it was literally like yes. like days before lockdown. Um and you know, it it's one of those things that everyone is so excited to be there and it's such a great positive day of native plant uh 
enthusiasm and education. So it's seeing some of these wonderful projects that have happened or new research. Uh, the speakers are top notch, but it's just, you know, everyone's there for the right reasons. Like you, if you go to a trade show, you're attracting people that are all there for different reasons. Um, you may have people looking for equipment, some people looking for this and that, but that symposium, you're bringing such great minds together and everyone's there on the same page. It's just such a wonderful day. Like you can't leave and not be upbeat about the prospects and native plant material. So, I'd, but I know the world has changed since COVID. So you, it's nice that you can have that in person and then still have someone from France be able to be a part of it. Right. I'll say, well, I think one of the other huge benefits that the Land of Exposium offers to folks is the, that it's approved for continuing education units. So okay. landscapers and designers who need to have this uh, education component for their licensing are able to get CEUs for attending the conference, mm -hmm. um, which means that you know, we don't only get the native plant buffs, right? Those folks that are already inspired, but we get some folks who might not have thought about or considered native plants and their importance in our world today. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to reach that audience is also really important. That's fantastic. That's fan You know, and it's, it's nice to see how many people are passionate about the preserve in the industry too, not just um, the average uh, homeowner, just you know, the people that do this for a living that, that speak so highly. I know one of our colleagues that have been on the podcast before, John Mark Courtney, he's, he was saying his internship at the Wildflower Preserve changed his career path. Like that really <laughs> led him to do, you know, and thanks to a professor that told him he should be an intern there, it changed the way, you know, where he's at now today. So, and that's one thing we didn't touch on. You also have an internship program, correct? Yeah, we do. Um, this year, we've got two pretty phenomenal interns. The nursery has one, and then Education Collections has one. Um, and these are, the internship program lasts all summer. It's about 14 weeks, um, depending on, of course, everyone's schedule and availability, right? Some schools start early or late or whatnot. Um, but it's a full-time internship, and they get, you know, that really deep dive into native plant knowledge, history, um, they become some of the folks who are leading these guided tours. They learn about propagation. Um, our groundskeeper will take the interns out and they learn, you know, some of the equipment use and management practices. It's really a all encompassing internship. Awesome. Awesome. They man. always leave in love with native plants, whether they started <laughs> that way or not. <laughs> and if you don't mind me asking where are a lot of your interns coming from, are, are they from close by? Are they coming from all over the, the country? Um, yeah, where are they coming from? Lately, They're mostly local folks. Mm -hmm. We used to have other uh, interns come from further away, and they would often house with different people from the preserve or find their own places to stay. But it seems like mostly they've been local lately, so housing isn't an issue. Interesting. Awesome. Right. So I, I'm pumped up and feel like I need to go visit the preserve yeah. like soon, but you, but the two of you get to actually work or volunteer there. So what, what are some of your favorite parts of what you do or the preserve is, is there a favorite thing at the preserve you have or a favorite part of your job that, that you love to be a part of? I say, Gene, do you want to go first? Sure. I, I love selling plants. <laughs> it's, I, 
it's all the, I grow all these plants and I get to talk about them and to see the enthusiasm with people and to get them enthused with it and just talking about what you can do. You can do this, you can do that. I just, I enjoy people. So that's part of it, but the people at the preserve, the volunteers, the staff, everyone, they're just, they're plant people, you know, plant people are good people. And um, it's just a happy place. I mean, they really are, you know, it's the kind of people who are attracted to the wildflower preserve. They're people who are in tune with nature. And all, a lot of us say you just pull into the gates and you just you feel your blood pressure go down. You just take a deep breath and it's like, well, I'm here. That's I wouldn't awesome. be there so much otherwise. <laughs> Art, before we go to Santino, I want to ask you if, do you have like a, a top three plants that are sold at the nursery like that, that seem to fly off the shelves more than anything else? Um, Monarda didima, Lobelia cardinalis, those are the, probably the top two. Beyond that, um, there's a lot of, a lot of the rudbeckias would go in, into that, but um, usually the, the main top plant is whatever's blooming at the moment. <laughs> if it's blooming, it will sell. And if there are three flats of it and two are blooming, those are the first two that go. But, <laughs> Wow. And we can have, you know, when we get it just right that they're blooming when they come on the floor. But I think Lobelia cardinalis is probably more than anything that we sell the most of. Wow. Oh, and this year we sold a lot of Iris cristata. <laughs> it just depends on the plant and how it presents. And I'll even say, what about the Asclepia? That oh, I feel yeah. like is flying too. Yes, that 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 is also those. You know, that would be another one in the top three. Probably it's a, it's probably tuberosa more than incarnata incarnata is taking over too I, I would add on to that and say how many plants do you guys grow um it's, obviously you're not growing all thousand species that are on the preserve but uh I, i'm being there i saw that it was a lot of different species of plants that you guys grew there um i think we have 150 to 200 species that we usually sell during wow. the year wow. and um so some of them are plugs that we grow out and some of them we grow from seed, but the woodies, we, we don't really have the space in the nursery to grow them out. Mm -hmm. So those we pretty much bring in, although we do have some that we get as tubelings or whatever and grow them from there. But, and that's a lot, you know, once you oh, have yeah. that kind of diversity, that's all different types of requirements, which makes it mm -hmm. much more difficult. That's no, yeah. that's no easy task. So yeah. yeah and, that's and what are your, your favorite species to grow? Um, to grow, I, I mean, I can tell you the easier ones, but we pretty much, what we grow is whatever we know we can sell. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably pretty much it. Um, you know, like some things this year that we grew from seed and we're, we're still learning a lot of that, the growing from seed and how to put it all together. Mm -hmm. We're changing the nursery operations to like right now we're trying to grow things out now so that we'll have them earlier in the spring. Mm -hmm. There's, it's always a learning process. For the nursery. That's a very important point because it, it's real easy to grow what you love, but that's not going to make you successful. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of plants that people want that are very difficult to grow. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of plant growers are plant people and they have their favorites and they, you know, they may not be the most popular, but they grow it because they want you to love it. You know, and sometimes mm -hmm. that gives you the gift of being able to sell it well uh, because you love it so much. But the goal is you, you have to be able to sustain it as well. So the fact that, 
you know, it's important to grow the things that you know you can sell that people want because mm -hmm. that's your bread and butter that's going to keep the nursery rolling and then you can experiment from there. So that's pretty, you know, they're, you know, sort of essential plants that you know you're going to grow every year. And then we vary with some of the other ones mm -hmm. that, you know, are a little more offbeat or whatever. Try them and see what happens. Don't yeah. we don't grow. I guess if you don't mind, what are some of those like offbeat ones that, that are new for this year? Okay, this year um, we'll have, let's see, we're going to have Solidago bicolor, which we grew out from seed. That That's one we haven't had. Let's see, what else is new this year? We had um, Hydrastis candidates. We, we, have, we have that one was new. I'm trying to think of what was new. Um, Hydrophyllum we had this year, different things. If we can find a source for different things, we'll, we'll awesome. put them out. Very cool. I know one year we grew Franklinia, which technically, you know, it's yeah. you know, the history of Franklinia. You know, there was one tree, I think it was John Bartram uh, found the one tree, I think in North Carolina. So everything is spawned from that. So you can't really use it for remediation purposes because it's nowhere, yeah. there's no historical knowledge mm -hmm. that you you know, it existed in this area, but we grew it because we liked it and we didn't sell it <laughs> and it's, it's funny you bring that up for him because it was my dad's birthday yesterday so we were at their uh, my parents house for his birthday dinner and he's like oh we've franklin in the backyard it's beautiful and it was just one of those trees that was left over that he planted back yeah. and he's like i bet you we have the nicest franklin in burlington county <laughs> <laughs> yeah and probably the only might one, be the only one. <laughs> might, might be the only one there are plants like salvia lyrata that I don't think commercially it's sold anywhere, but we all love it in the nursery. So we collect seed and grow it. And yeah, yeah. Buy it. There's a lot of different things like that. Santino, how about you? What are what are some of your favorite parts of the job or, or uh, things that you find most interesting? You know, I, I, it's it's got to be the people, the people of the preserve, you know, volunteers, um, the staff the public that visits really do make this place what it is. Um, and I'm, I have to give my, my hats off to folks like Jean and Mary Ann and all this huge list of, of volunteers who, who really help share that knowledge and showcase. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about is, you know, our own personal histories. Jean said, you know, that you fall in love with native plants, whether you are a native plant person or not. Um, I came to the preserve and my background was in wildlife and research and management. Um, didn't have a strong native plant knowledge background. Um, and it's in part thanks to these volunteers that I'm learning every single day and, and you know, uh, appreciating natives more and more and, and working to showcase that. So um, the volunteers, the public, the, the people of the preserve are, are my favorite bit. That's awesome. Tom, you want to hear what my favorite part of my job is? Oh, yeah, right, go ahead. What, go ahead. Right, what you want to take a guess? I don't, I don't know if I want to actually hear this, Brandon. <laughs> you know, I, thinking about it, because, you know, whenever I hear such great answers, it makes me think, oh, if I were put in that position, what would I say? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, it's easy for me to ask these questions because I don't have to answer them. Um, but I was thinking, I was like, yeah, you know, what is the thing, you know, and it's, it's real easy to be the love of the plants. You know, I wasn't a native plant person when I came here. I was a nurseryman and, and, and working here converted me to that. And I love the, the science and, and the nature behind that. But I think my favorite part of my job are my coworkers. I think, I think the family that we have at the nursery makes it so much fun. And look, you look forward to coming in for mm -hmm. those interactions 
just with the coworkers, I think more than anything. Can't you tell by how much I talk? Yeah. Oh yeah. During yeah. my day. <laughs> I, I was going to say by how yeah. much complain. I wouldn't think that you <laughs> like your coworkers. No, never complain. Never <laughs> publicly. I, I wait till, you know, it's just me and you in the office. Yeah. And I <laughs> so I feel like this is the point where we, we plug in that sitcom. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, but no, we have a, you know, and it's, it's, it's very similar to what you're saying. We, you, when you have a good team and you work well together, it makes that overall mission that much more enjoyable doing it together when you're all working towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. It makes it, you know, we have a good group of people. You can't always, I can't always have said that from some of the other places that I've worked, mm -hmm. you know, it, it makes it more difficult. And that's not a difficulty that, you know, every job has challenges, but that's not a challenge that I have to Oh, now, yeah. my cohort workers may say differently about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what but, is he talking about? Get him out of here. Yeah. Do you need to talk to me after this podcast? Yeah, I think you might need to visit with HR. Is, <laughs> what how about be? Tom? I mean, what's your favorite part? So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, I was actually, honestly, I was thinking about this this uh, earlier. Um, so I have a business background primarily, but uh, one of the more famous business books that came out recently is start with why by simon sinek and uh he basically says that people don't buy your product because of what you have and its attributes and all that they buy it because they believe what you believe yeah and um that's why companies like apple have gotten so massively successful uh, successful and google have gotten so massively successful at times there's people who have better products that are on the market but apple and google are always trying to push to the next level so uh, basically his whole thing is advocating you need to have your own why you need to find your why and that's what you need to base your decisions off of and uh, so I was even just thinking about it earlier and it was really just my favorite part is that every day I can show up and I know that what we're doing is making the world a better place um, every single plant that leaves our nursery is going into some kind of habitat and it's providing uh, food for, for insects and habitat for fish or, or habitat for birds and wildlife. And uh, in, by default is then making a greener planet for, well, now my son, but my friends, my family, my coworkers, and, uh, and my son, that was the big part was just knowing that like my dad used to joke around and say, Oh, we could be selling like booze and cigarettes. And like knowing that it's, it's a detriment to it's, you think about those kind of things that are, causing health issues or even uh, home issues. Uh, you could be selling that and making just as much money or more money, but we're doing something that is really making the world a better place. And, and you guys are as well. Yeah. So it's something, yeah, you, you can't feel bad about what you're doing because it's really helping yeah. in so many There's ways. There's a quantifiable yeah. number of, or amount that you're helping yeah. by, by doing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of the love of, of being in this. Like before I was in, native plants now that i am i can't see me ever not doing it because you know it's measurable the help that you're providing yeah and it's one of the things that's become unique um is we have a lot of employees that kind of take the plants home with them and use them at home as well and uh and for, well, from i started doing it mostly mostly because i felt guilty because i know how great these things were <laughs> and i was like well, my landscape's not going to look anything like my neighbors. They're going to think I'm crazy and that they might even call and complain. But, um, but I can't plant 
the same things that they have because I know that those aren't doing a, a thing for the insects and the birds and the wildlife. And I have access to all these things that are. So I would be, I would just feel so guilty not using native plants at home. And I still think about them. Oh, it kind of looks a little messy. It doesn't look like the neighbors, but I know it's making way more of an impact than their gardens would in their entire lifetimes. So now, now something right. that, that speaks for Eugene is that, you know, and Tom kind of touched on it, like you're kind of selling, you're kind of selling yourself or you're selling your beliefs. So mm -hmm. if your nursery is excelling and that's the level of what you do. That says something about you. They trust you. If you have people coming from Brooklyn, it's because that relationship you have. It's not necessarily that you have native plants. They can get native plants in a lot of other places, but they trust you and they trust your mm -hmm. mission and they trust what you're doing. So, and that's a wonderful thing. And a lot of, I guess, in retirement, it was like, what can I do to help the earth? And this is what I can do. You know, as at Bowman Hill, I found the place where I can, that's, that's something where I can fit in and I can do something that makes a difference. But I tell people there are a lot of things wrong in the world, but there's something you can do instead of complaining about, you can take home a native, you can take a native plant mm -hmm. and it's going to help that insect and it's going to help some, you know, the bird or whatever. You can change something, you know, you can say the environment's a mess. Well, this is what you can do. And, you know, it just feels like it's, yeah, you it makes a difference what we do. It, mm -hmm. Again, we're not selling booze and cigarettes. It's an important thing in the world. And that's why with all the new people coming in, in the last two years, these, all these new people getting it, it's, it really makes you feel good. Now, how did each of you end up at Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve? Like how did, like Gene, were you a, like a, someone who visited all the time before you initially volunteered or? Did something change your mind that made you want to get involved there? I was bird watcher and I had an em empty ground and I wanted to bring birds in and that started it, you know, and I just came to the plant sale and Ann Rhodes actually waited on me who wrote the Plants of Pennsylvania book mm -hmm. and, you know, I brought home some shrubs and then I went back again and again and then I, of course, talk a lot. So I started talking to people and then I volunteered and, you know, on weekends and at plant sales and things. And then when I retired, I went, you know, full full bore into all this i guess so i would awesome. say birds were the gateway drug <laughs> i i love that though i love that there's gateway drugs in a native plant. yeah and it's this, we've talked about it i don't even know how many times in this podcast it's one of the reasons we started the podcast was because there's so many different gateway drugs to native plants whether yeah. it's birds or insects or bees butterflies hunting fishing they all dive back into native habitats which are basically created by the plant structure so yeah that was a big reason why we did yeah. all this yeah, yeah. santino how did you end up at, at bowman's hill i say i have the lucky the the fortune to say that they were looking for an education person when i was looking for a new new job um my wife is from this area and we were living in central pennsylvania um for about five years previously and looking to come back closer to her family and it, it was just fortuitous um, that, you know, they had a position available and applied and I'm thankful that I, I got the job and, and have loved every day ever since. That's awesome. And as have we loved him. It, a good Aww. fit. There you go. <laughs> well, I didn't say that. <laughs> but, you know, I have a very similar, you know, I wish I, I wish how I ended up here was more glamorous. And I know we've talked about this on previous podcasts as well, but I just happened to need a job 
and they needed a sales manager mm -hmm. and my ex-wife at the time we had young kids and and she didn't want to move again you know because we had moved multiple times for my career so you know it just it's funny how it aligned um, but i'm glad it did because I can't imagine not having taken this path. It was kind of fate, you know, and it's just, mm -hmm. you're like, okay, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. I didn't know it yep. at the time, but you realize it after the fact. So I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, It's not not very glamorous. <laughs> I'm just thankful. At least it wasn't, I needed a job and you weren't hiring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would have been a lot worse. Well, and now look at all of the, the waves that have been made, you know, from that. Like, would this podcast itself have existed had you not, you know, you can think about all those, those other uh, effects of, of taking I, it. I would say no, because Fran had the equipment already had when, the, we, when we had the idea. I, Tom had the idea, but I had done that yeah. podcast and at least had the equipment and, and we could do it. But mm -hmm. it's not that you wouldn't have had the idea. It might not have been the same. Sure. But, but then I would have had to buy it all. And that's just another like <laughs> roadblock in the, on the way. And I would have forgotten about it. But. Yeah, but right. no, it's 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 funny how it works out. And I'm glad that, you know, we're able to make it, you know, we're happy that we're able to make a difference every day with what we do. And this podcast is just another way that we're able to make a difference. The shirts mm -hmm. that we're offering is another way for us to make a difference. So it's it's happy that it all ties together. And we get to have great conversations with folks like you and, and other organizations um, about this. And it's it's funny what we've learned. You know, I'm taking a lot away from our conversation today. and it, if anything, our relationship will be stronger as we move forward mm -hmm. too. So it's great that it kind of brings all of us together that are in different uh, portions of this native plant web that it kind of connects us all. So we're, we're fortunate for that too. So uh, yeah, uh, both the podcast and the preserve, you know, both the, the missions and what we do, you know, reminds me of, um, I'll say a, a pretty well-known quote by Baba Dio. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his last name and I apologize for that, but you know, it's in the end, we'll only conserve what we love. We'll only love what we understand and we'll only understand what we've been taught. Um, you know, the podcast and the folks at the preserve, you know, that's what they're doing is they're teaching, they're educating, they're sharing that. And, you know, folks can see that passion in their eyes and they can hear it in our voices and, and understand and gather the importance that taking home a single plant can make. Um, and we really are working to make the world a better place in that way. So, yeah, awesome. And, you know, it was, it was very, very nice for us when the two of you came out and said that you listened to the podcast, you know, and it was unsolicited, mm -hmm. which, which we yeah. appreciate. And even, and even got a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, Gene actually has got to keep it native shirt on. So, uh, you know, we, we appreciate that as well. So that's, it just makes the whole community stronger. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, I know we're slated, I don't know that we have the date, but we're slated to do one of the Thursday night uh, web lectures um, for you. And I, I, that's one of the things that we want to talk about. We mm -hmm. talk about all the time is making the circle bigger. How do you make the native plant circle bigger? How do you get more people involved? You know, and that's, that's what all this is about. I think sometimes some of us lose that, that site. I'll say, speaking of making the circle really big, um, one of your previous guests, Darren Williams, will be joining us for our Thursday Night Nature this summer. He's one of our speakers. So I know we got you guys Beautiful. slated in the fall. So awesome. Darren's man, he's he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Talk about uh, knowledgeable and and just very he his the way he educates is it's just like, oh yeah, why 
anyone can do this. Yeah. Like oh, it yeah. makes it seem so easy and accepting. And that's what the difference is. It's it's like, hey, we can all do this at some level. Like anyone can do this. You can start here. You don't have to have all this. You could have one plan, but just you kind of have to start somewhere, you know, and it's that's I, I love that that he's going to be a guest. That makes oh, me I am stoked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's and that's someone from the other side of the country. I mean, he's out in the Pacific Northwest. So that's I mean, wonderful that you were able to connect. So we always end up with the same question. So we've kind of been skirting it. And it's, and I'm sure you know what the question is, but we always ask what your favorite native plant is. Um, and it, it can only be one. Like, you, we'll let you say more than one because everyone kind of does <laughs> yeah. anyway. But if you have one favorite that kind of wins out, what, what would that be? I guess I'll go. All right. Without a doubt, it's Magnolia Virginiana, Sweet Bay Magnolia. Just I'll love that go. plant. I love the, how it smells and it blooms for such a long time. And I'll just, mm -hmm. after dinner, go stand there and just breathe it in for a long time. It's, it's, I don't know. That's the one that really makes me smile. That's a great choice. Mm -hmm. And it, it really always, yeah, when that, you get that summer magnolia bloom without having to worry about frost, tipping it back and and, and will hold its leaves a, a little bit longer. And even in a mild winter, be like somewhat semi evergreen. That's a, that's a great choice. Santino, how about you? You're on the hot seat. I know. And you I'm gonna be a rule breaker and I have to go with two because right. depending on the day, it's a coin toss. And okay. it's going to be either Sassafras albidum Ooh, nice. or a trilobata, the pawpaw. Two. So sassafras and pawpaw. Um, I I find myself going towards those that are really fun to teach about and mm -hmm. aren't on the forefront of most people's minds. Um, I like the underdogs of plants and, you know, sassafras with the three different leaf shapes and the lemon smell. And it was the original root beer, you know, has all these really cool stories. Um, it's the host plant for the swallowtail caterpillar, which is the inspirational design for um, one of the original Pokemon. So when you can teach the kids about and who love Pokemon, like, oh, this Pokemon Caterpie is really just the identical, uh, design of this caterpillar that lives on this native plant um so tying in everyone and then i recently learned about the pawpaw and have been in love with it um for the past i'll say five years you know everyone gets excited for pumpkin spice season and i'm like nah 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 bro it's it's pawpaw season like let's go <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was one year where actually i had enough of pawpaw because the, the the mature plants around here were bearing a lot of fruit and we were eating the fruit to get the seed and I had <laughs> eaten way more of my share than, yeah. than normal. The, I um we had a customer who dropped off a whole bag of them from his driveway the one time. Yeah. Uh and the only reason he dropped off the bag is I happened to be talking to him on the phone like a week or two earlier and I was like, oh yeah, you must get a lot of pawpaw fruit because I I made a delivery to his his uh his office there or shop. And he basically had an LA of pawpaw trees that went, and it was a long driveway. Wow. <laughs> I was like, he's got to have more pawpaws than he knows what to do with. And, uh, and then he came in like, basically just picked something up and dropped off like a garbage, yeah. like yeah. garbage bag full of pawpaws. And that was like the only time I got, I, we were so spoiled with pawpaws. I would only eat them like 
in certain way. They had to be like out of the freezer, like super cold. I don't know, room temperature pawpaw? No way. I'm, but you know, I didn't I realize spoiled. that they were saying back in colonial times they would put them in their like root cellars to mm-hmm. keep them like for like they were saying that was a more traditional dessert yeah. was frozen pawpaw. And then I had to try that. George Washington's favorite yeah. dessert. Yeah. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. It was one of their maybe it was both their favorite. Washington. One of their favorite desserts. <laughs> But, and Lewis and Clark on that's all they ate for a while on their expedition yeah. with pawpaws and you think wow what a way to go because yeah. a lot of them are lined on on waterways you know yeah. for oh. but we uh you know I I gotta tell you we uh I can't say no to it and that's the problem yeah. is that when <laughs> when they show up and you can have them I can't stop eating them and that's because you realize you're only getting it once a year if you get them that year and then you're like oh I don't know if I don't know when I'm going to have this again. I'm going to have more. And then I, I eat, I'm an addict. Yeah. I'm a pawpaw addict. There you go. We'll have to do a pawpaw eating contest this year. That's, that's <laughs> our speed for sure. <laughs> but, but no, those are three well, great choices there. Yeah. I, I see. I've never had a frozen. I got to try it now. I know. Yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> it makes a difference it really oh, yeah. does make it once you do it you're like oh i don't know if i'm eating this any other way yeah partially frozen or all the way frozen uh it's you put it in the freezer for like two hours maybe an hour and a half okay. and yeah. then yeah then you take it so it's like nice and cold on the outside even if you just put it in the fridge for for a day it's good like that yeah the outside turns a little bit black yeah more black but um and then you just cut it in half and and scoop it out with a spoon and oh yeah almost like well, there is pawpaw ice cream's a thing too, but um, right. it's almost like ice cream without any cream. So All right, you have to make cream. pawpaw ice cream now because Tom's I, very. Yeah, I can do that. yeah you're yeah. a good, good. My mom made it a year or two you, ago. Will you let me know so I can come over? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. really. <laughs> the, the, so this this customer of ours, I asked him what he did with all his pawpaws, and he actually said he brought them to uh, a place called the Bent Spoon in Princeton, New Jersey. Oh yeah, a little ice cream place, uh-huh. and they. He was friends with the owner, and they made pawpaw ice cream there. So maybe I'll I'll go buy a tub from there, and then say I made it myself. I love the Bent Spoon. I just don't like waiting in line at Bent yeah. Spoon because yeah. it's such a popular place that you're that you have a wait, but it's worth the wait. And just off the wall and fantastic flavors, and they definitely. It's not like your traditional ice cream place where everything's super super sweet. Yeah. They they make uh, I don't want to say savory. That's not because it's not savory, but they make very floral combinations there's, there's a lot of cool stuff there and now I'm yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> well, i was gonna say that trees. family that family also has great uh other great ties not just ice cream but uh the the husband in that dynamic duo does the triumph brewery is one of the folks in charge oh, okay, of the yeah. brewery so you have beer and ice cream in that family which is just great does it get any better than that <laughs> No, I don't think so. No, native plants. There you go. Well, <laughs> native plants. You throw pizza in there too, and you got. Oh yeah, you got. <laughs> I know yeah, how some of our listeners love hearing us talk. About oh yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So for some of your listeners who've never had the opportunity to taste a pawpaw, um, pawpaw itself is our largest native fruit, and you can think of it kind of like a banana custard. Um, you know, it has that almost. I don't want to say citric or citrusy flavory taste but you know it's it's sweet and and banana like and yeah it's truly delicious but i'm curious if you do you make pawpaw ice cream like you do faux banana ice cream like you just kind of turn it into a whip 
no i guess uh well how i've seen it made it was it was ice cream but then you just kind of whip the pawpaw into it at least that's uh, how I've, I've had it before but yeah cool now i'm totally sidetracked into sneaking yeah. food i got yeah. you yeah. <laughs> see what's going on out there <laughs> so i say and it's lunchtime right <laughs> yeah then the last thing we always do is have everyone wrap up with a final thought. We can plug something. You can promote something. You can just kind of summarize what you wanted to say today. Um, just a way for everyone to kind of conclude the, the episode. So Santino, why don't we start with you? All right. Well, I just want to say thank you guys for having us on here. Um, as a, as a relatively new listener to the podcast, I'm, I'm very honored that I, I got to be on the, the podcast and I'm super excited that you guys waited a year and a half before getting us because that means I got the opportunity to do so. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I hope that your listeners will, will come on out and enjoy the beauty that is the preserve. Um, you know, we're open year round. So even in the wintertime, you're more than welcome to come and hike and visit. Um, personally, it's one of my favorite times to visit the preserve when all the leaves are down and you get to see a little further into the forest and you know, there's that added calm and peacefulness that you experience in hiking winter forests. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's truly is a magical place. Um, check out our programming and, you know, come see us in any way capacity that you can. Um, and I'd encourage folks, you know, while we're a museum, one of the other things that most people don't realize is that we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization and one of the best ways you can support us if you choose to do so is through memberships, um, which has a whole host of benefits, including free admission to the preserve, um, doing some quick like armchair nap, napkin math. I think it's if you plan to visit the preserve more than four times a year, um, becoming a membership or becoming a member pays for that um, with free admission. So um, yeah. Come and join and be part of the Bowman Hill family. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and for those, be, before we go to Gene, for those that want to volunteer or be an intern, what's the best way to, to contact you? Is it so the to... general inbox um, that gets will get divvied out is bhwp at bhwp.org. Um, for volunteering opportunities, it's volunteers at bhwp.org. Um, and the internship program in general goes to education at bhwp.org. Awesome. Um, and all of those are, are linked on our website. So you can find them there. Fantastic. Gene, how about you? Do you have a final thought? And pretty much what Santino said. I mean, okay. it's a wonderful place to visit. There are miles of trails that you can see native plants. The meadow is coming into its full bloom now pretty soon. And the meadow is pretty magical in late summer, especially when you can go on a guided walk. There are a lot of butterflies, birds, and everything, but unusual kind of plants. And yeah, it's come safe. And certainly if you're there, the nursery's open from April through October. And uh, we'd love to talk to you about what we can do to help you out. Awesome. Awesome. Tom, would you like to go? I'm going to let you go first. All right. So to me, one of the main reasons I think that you'd want to visit the preserve or anyone would want to visit the preserve you know, especially if you do a lot of nature walks, we talk about all the time that we're in, we're in the woods and they're not healthy. You know, we talk about all the, the signs of deer pressure and invasives and all these things. And a lot of the nature walks, even though you're spending time in nature, you realize it's not what it should be. This is your opportunity to see what it should be and, and how it can be um, 
if it protected and, and managed correctly. And not only that, if you're a native plant novice, you can go on guided walks and have someone help you ID these things. So you're not just going through this is beautiful. I wonder what this is or pulling your phone out or checking iNaturalist. You can actually have a guided tour to help you appreciate the wonders of, of what's there. And there's not too many places like this. I mean, there's, there are great organizations that do a lot of great things. Um, and, and we've had a lot of them on the podcast, but and this is one of those places that you have to visit. So you can see when the next time you're out in your local park or trail, what the difference is, you know, mm-hmm. and the diversity and the health of it and what, what, needs to be done for so many other places so please if you get the chance i i I beg you to visit the preserve because it's it will it will blow your mind yeah and then for me it was uh i was embarrassed that i hadn't actually been there in a long time up until about a year ago and uh my wife and i went we brought our our new-ish son at that point he's only a couple months old and um and it really blew me away. I'd always heard of it. I knew a lot of people from there. Everyone was saying, oh, you have to go. And it was just hard to find the time. But then I went and now it's okay. We're going to come here, uh, at least try and hit up a different season every year. Mm-hmm. So you can see all the different highlights. Cause it's, it's, well, I guess we didn't really bring it up too much. Or Santini might have just brought up. It's constantly changing. If you went one week versus a month later, it's going to be way, way different. There's going to be different things blooming. Things will be, just opening up or just fading out it's uh it's going to be changing from probably march until uh november and you're going to have a yeah. different experience every time yeah. every time you go so and that's so, what's and, important. and really there's something for everyone there you can bring like we brought a, a stroller and a, a a newborn along um you can go if you wanted to i think you had some steeper looking trails as well um there's a lot that they had going on then you had the meadows that you can kind of just take a leisurely stroll through so you have the nursery yeah, cool. there's, a, there's a gift shop also correct mm-hmm. yeah yep. no, we've got our twin leaf gift shop yeah yeah so you know and like you said there's oh sorry no that's okay go ahead i was gonna i was gonna say you know folks will regularly ask me what's the best time of the year to visit right and that's that's a super popular question and it really just it all depends on what you're interested in what you want to see i personally say there's never a bad time with 700 different species of plant there's literally something in bloom almost all year round. Um, we're really well known for the spring ephemerals. Folks come to see things like Virginia bluebell, the wood poppy, um, you know, down along our Perry Trail, which is named after one of our founders. And the unique geology of the preserve really lets us have that kind of floodplain area and that that special habitat. Um, but, you know, Gene brought up the new meadow, which is really coming into its glory now and will stay glorious throughout the fall season. Um, so there's, there's never time. The winter, you can see witch hazel in bloom, um, which people don't think about winter time and, and plant blooms, but it's also a great time to check out the different buds of these different plants because um, all the buds of the plants look unique and are different and it's a different thing to see and appreciate. So That's fantastic. So bottom line is you got to go. Oh, you yeah. just got to go. <laughs> yeah. So there's no bad time. It will, it will Place be- good people. There you go. Oh, yeah. There you go. So that is it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Santino uh, Loricella. I did say that right. I, you didn't correct me, so I'm assuming I said it right. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I've, so growing up um, with a strange name, most folks, you know, but it's, yeah, I, I answered to San, 
it's Santino, Santino. It's it's Santino. Okay, Santino. I was more asking about your last name, but I guess. Yeah, I oh, Loricella. No, you did great. <laughs> Loricella, you did great. I just say, you just use all the letters you see. That's it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to Santino, Loricella, and Gene Bow from Bowman's Hill. Burrell. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I always screw up so many names on this podcast. See, that's why I give them to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I never have to do it. Yeah. Uh, from Bowman's Hill Wildflower <laughs> Preserve. For more information, visit www.bhwp.org. Thank you for everyone for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pilots Nursery. Uh, we're going to give a huge thank you to the Egocentric Classic Men for contributing our theme music. Make sure you buy their songs or listen to their music wherever you stream or consume your music. If you want to see them live, live music is back. You can see uh, EPM at the Grape Room in Manion, PA on July 30th, along with one of my Philly faves, Andorra. Uh, make sure you go out and support your local music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. Uh, you can call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question, leave a comment. Uh, when we pick your question or comment, we'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz. The, the question and comment line has been great. Uh, we had mm. a couple good calls last one. We have a couple calls for this one. Uh, the return of Saul. Saul is back. It's been a couple weeks, but we, we poked his cage and, and he called back in. Um, and we love hearing new people uh, each, each episode of The Buzz calling in. So make sure you keep doing that. Uh, and let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And I love that Tom and I aren't even really the facilitators anymore. The the members are the facilitators. Mm -hmm. We're just kind of there to make fun of each other. And then uh, everyone else is brings, brings seriousness to it. So uh, let's make sure we keep that conversation going there. Uh, don't forget, we have Native Plants Healthy Planet t-shirts for sale. If you go to our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com, there's a big that banner. That was the at, right amount of W's. That I know. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a big banner up top that just says, uh, I forget exactly what it says. It has pictures of the shirts and then says t-shirts here or something like that. Yeah, I think you it's five that, shirts here. Or something yeah, like it'll that. it'll take you to our, our Teespring store. Um, and as we the reports back, we've been getting the shirts run a little bit big. Yeah. So if you're if you're kind of in between sizes, order the size smaller. Um, and uh, and like we've mentioned a million times, all the money that we get off those shirts, we're not keeping a cent of it. It's all going to the organizations that we're having on um, in, in some way or another. It's all going to them. So uh, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher iHeartRadio, really wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, when you're there, it's a, it does a big, big favor and helps spread this message. If you leave us a five-star review and, and hit subscribe, it really does big, big things for us um, in, in helping this, this podcast grow and making that circle bigger. So um, with that, I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you, uh, Santino and Gene, so much for being with us today. We appreciate it greatly. Um, we have a buzz episode coming up uh, next week, and we I don't think we finalized the topic yet, but we did we did say Saul will be back. So. Yep. So, but we'll have a topic uh, like we always do, and it won't be cranky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, we're happy now. Yeah, we're happy. So uh, we have that coming up. So until then, we'll see you all next time. Keep it native.
Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.